Welcome back to episode number 139 of The NP Dude. This is Jeff The NP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's everybody that's listening. I don't care who you are. If you got a problem or an issue, you better be emailing me, jeff at thenpdude.com. Because if I don't know it exists as a problem, then how can I handle it when it comes up? So it's, it's all about me. It really is. It has nothing to do with you people. I'm just trying to help you guys too. So if you guys got a question or a comment, I don't care. Send it to me. I'll, I'd love to love to hear it, and I'll do my best to help you guys out if I can. And if I don't know, well, I'm going to bring it to light. And I'm going to ask the masses, and if I get a response back on how to handle it, I'll let you know. I will update you. I promise. The um, housekeeping stuff. We, we're at like uh, 26. I don't want to say high 30s, 26 40s on uh, Facebook. Again, I don't think it's the best measure, but once I hit 2,600, it kind of changed in Facebook. So it's done a little bit different. Um, so my number's not easily accessible to me. I have to actually go look for it, and I don't, I don't go out of my way to look for it because it's not that important. It's the only measuring stick I have, though. I, I'm pretty sure I got more people on iTunes than I, than I do on Facebook. Um, so I, I think we got a pretty good following at this point, but I need your help. If you guys want to make this show last, if you want this to be something that stays, if you've got other issues that are out there that need answered, then uh, I need your support. I need you to help me. Here's how you do it. A couple different ways. One, like the show. Simple. You can like it on Facebook. You can like it in your, your app um, apps for your podcasts. You can... Uh, like it on iTunes as well. You can give me ratings. Those are great ways. Let's people know that you're finding it valuable. If you don't find it valuable, give me a rating too. I got a couple of ones on on iTunes. I could care less. Nobody yet has given me a one and told me why. So I hold that with low value. So unless you tell people why it's a piece of crap, they're not gonna they're not gonna value your one. All right. So if you've got a good valuable reason for it, put it down. I don't care might be something I could fix. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe I just suck that bad. I don't care. Okay? So, uh, ratings are a great way to do it. The other thing you can do... Sorry, I'm driving in really crappy traffic. The other thing that you can do is to uh, use the Amazon affiliate link. This is how you support the show monetarily. What you do is you go to my website, thenpdude.com. New listeners or people that have been listening for like six, you know, six months now. And you've listened to every show and you haven't gone to Amazon to help support the show. Now's your time. You go do it. It's not a big deal. It's one click. That's it. It's one click. You go to my website. You click on the Amazon banner. It takes you to Amazon. You do the purchasing that you otherwise would have done. It kicks me back a couple percentage of your purchase. It doesn't add anything to the cost to you. It's a great way to support the show. It's a win-win. It doesn't cost you anything more than extra website typing and a click. How, be, how much? How easy could that be? It couldn't get any easier. Somebody just spent a lot of money on on there. So I appreciate that. That one's going to carry me for a little while. So I appreciate it. But I need more. If you guys want to make this thing last, we got to do it. i got enough web hosting for this year, and I'm working on next year. But um, you never know. I might need to do some other stuff. i got some offers to fix my website um, and make it a little bit more streamlined, a little more pretty. And so if I can get that, that's going to cost some money. So I need to I need to build the coffers up a little bit before I can improve the quality of what's coming to you. The other way you can support the show is if you are an Ohio resident or you work in Ohio. You don't have to live in Ohio, but if you either live or work in Ohio and you have a contract and you're like, you know what, I don't know what the hell this says, you can email it to me, Jeff at the npdude.com. I say it a bunch of times because I get people that ask, what's your what's your email again? I swear to God, I get people that ask that. How do, you, how do you not know my email? I say it like a dozen times every show. 
but still people ask, so I still have to give it to you. Um, you can email me your contract. I'd be happy to give you a price. I go through and review it. I'm a fraction of what it would cost if you went to some guy that had his name in gold leaf lettering, you know, stenciled on the window of his, of his office. I'm a fraction. And they don't understand what it is that NPs do and what the standard costs associated with practice for NPs are. The way I do it is I review contracts. And then what I do is I mark it up. I send it back to you. I go through every single word, every comment of, my, of the contract. Unless you say, I don't need to go through that. Then I'll skip it. But, you know, because I don't want to waste your time. If you know about something, I'm not going to sit there and just talk at you. But my goal is to not only explain to you the, the, the provisions in your agreement, but also to allow you to learn what you're looking for for the next one. Because chances are, as, a, as an advanced practice provider, you will, you will be encountering contracts every couple of years of your professional life. So I find that to be a valuable service. I've yet to have anybody say, Jeff, you know what, this thing sucks and I want my money back. I've yet to have anybody say that. Yes, I'm in about five and a half minutes and I'm still doing housekeeping. I don't care, people. I'm doing it my way. You can suck here because sometimes I'm going to shake it up and I'm going to change it around. I'm going to make you re-listen to it twice. Yeah. There you go. Got an email from a listener. Told not to use name, but I can use a, a, a pseudonym. Uh, what was it? Cat something. Cat Francis, right? Is that you, Cat? I know it was Cat. Cat Francis, I think. So Cat emails me and says, and I'm going to change this circumstance a little because I can't, to be honest, Cat, I read it and I can't remember the exact circumstance, but it won't matter because you'll get your answer. Graduate nurse practitioner school, pass your certification exam, filling out your application for your state license. And in your state license application, it says in line 12, have you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness? If so, please explain. And Kat says, I feel like I'm going to be, you know, picked out and singled out and that I'm going to be, um, you know, maybe they won't give me my license and I'm afraid if I put down the truth that I won't get it and, you know, all that good stuff. All that, this, the, the genuine concerns associated with bearing your soul about your, your mental, mental, medical conditions. Because if it was diabetes, would they ask? No, not really. But maybe they should. I don't know. <laughs> so maybe they should. I don't know. No, they shouldn't. I don't think they should. So the, the, here's the, the, the problem. And, and as Kat sees it, it's the problem of not getting my license because I put all this money, time, and energy in, and I'm really good at what I want to do, and I finally found what I, my passion, and I'm ready to go kick ass, and I am potentially not going to be able to do that, and it scares me, and I get that. That's a fear. I would be scared too. Let's put it into perspective. Let's go back a little bit. we got to talk a little bit about the Constitution. I know it's boring. People are like, Constitution again, Jeff? Yes, we have to talk about the Constitution because... The Constitution of the United States was developed to prevent state action, government, state, state equals government, all right? State doesn't mean the state of Ohio or Pennsylvania or Commonwealth or whatever, right? It's literally government is what that means. State action is government action. The Constitution is written, most of it, as negatives. In other words, the government or state cannot do some, something, something. 
the state can't do this, the state can't do that, they can't infringe on this right, and that right, and all these other things, right? Okay? So when they ask this question of, are you, um, are you mentally ill, or have you ever had a mental illness, and if so, please explain, with dates of, you know, hospitalizations and treatment and things like that. The issue is that I, as I see it, is a license as an APRN or a license for anything for that matter is not technically a right. Now, could it fall under your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? Absolutely it could. So you could argue that. But giving, giving permission to do something in a state is not per se, a constitutional right. There's no constitutional right to drive a car. It's a privilege. So you have to understand what's a right, what's a privilege. So understanding that licenses are privileges, not a right, um, now they've got a little bit more leeway to ask questions to limit your privilege or prevent you from taking taking part in the privilege. So, uh, you know, you've, you've had 12... 12 points on your driver's license, guess what? You lost your privilege to drive. We're going to take it away. You got caught with a DUI or your third DUI or whatever the rule is now. And yeah, we're going to go ahead and just take away that privilege. So it's a limited right would be like a privilege if you wanted to try to split hairs. When you are providing that information, the state has to have a sufficient nexus or connection. And I've said those words before, but they're very important in constitutional law. So if there is a sufficient connection or nexus between the law or the questions in this case, whether you have a mental illness, and the the public policy reason for the question, well, safety, public safety, um, if there's a sufficient connection, then they're always going to win in court. So yes, they can ask those questions legally. And you you have no... no opportunity to say deferred they just won't give you your license okay what my my problem i have with this question cat is if you don't comply with the question you lose your privilege you lose your license or the ability to obtain the license they won't give it to you so if you've had a medical condition that that is being requested that they find to be pertinent to to um allow you to take a part in the privilege then you you have to answer it. You have you can't lie. You got to be honest. The potential for you to lose the the opportunity to get your license is very very low. But if you lie, it's almost guaranteed. You know how would they know? Somebody would have to call and tell them, or they stumble across your record somewhere, which would be protected by HIPAA. How would they know? I don't know. But if they found out, you would never work as an as a nurse practitioner again in any state plus DC. Because every state has the same questions, essentially. Plus all the credentialing through the the insurances do the same type of questions. Have you ever lost a license or had a license revoked? That's a bad day when you have to say yes and try to explain it. Now, you you may have had one revoked and had a justifiable reason and you've got, you know, you've explained it and, and you probably would get your license. It probably wouldn't be a big deal. But you have to be honest. You can't lie on the application. You got to be squeaky clean and completely transparent. 
on your application because if not it will bite you in the ass and it will be much worse if you lie than if you told the truth and um and said you know what i i I do have a mental illness and here's what it is now what i would do is this i wouldn't lie but i wouldn't i wouldn't overplay how bad it was and maybe it wasn't that bad anyways so you could say, you know, I, I was diagnosed in 1993 with major depressive disorder. I was treated with therapy, uh, counseling, and uh, medical management and have not had any issues since. Okay, that's pretty pretty remote problem, right? I mean, it's well controlled. You, you made it through MP school. You passed your certification. You're pretty stable. You're a pretty stable human being. They also have to look at, you know, you, you had letters of recommendations to get into school. You had letters of recommendations for, you know, other other things in life. You had your FBI background check. I mean, you're a pretty, a pretty stable individual, even if you had a medical condition that, that requires medication or, you know, things that you would have to disclose. I'm not worried about the disclosure. So, I, I tell the truth. It's not good if you lie. Wow, this guy's tall. He's walking down the side of the street. He's got to be like seven foot two. Wow, he was a big dude. Okay. Um, another one along the same vein um, was expunging records and disclosing that information during your, your application process. So I kind of saved these two to, to kind of handle them together because the same answer applies. You tell the truth. Now, expunged records, it depends on the jurisdiction. Some jurisdictions will call it um, uh, expunged. Some will call it sealed. It just depends on what they call it in your area. It's essentially the same thing. And what it means is that um, the, the documents of the, the record are sealed, and in theory, it's as though that, that conviction never happened. You, so you were convicted of a crime, you did the time, you're an upstanding citizen, and the court will give you a process in which you pay a bunch of money, and you basically pay them to say, you know what, you're, you're a good boy now, or a good girl now, and you really don't have any problems, and you're, you're stable, and there's no real criminal, you're not a crime criminal. So that's kind of what it does. But when you do an FBI background check, I've been told that the FBI background check will show that there was a conviction. It doesn't show what the disposition necessarily is. I've never seen the FBI background checks. I've had a bunch of them done on me, and I've never once, I want to see what they can find on this. I'd love to see what they actually show, um, but I've never really delved into it. So I would expect that even if you had a record expunged or, or sealed, I would still disclose the conviction, what year it was, whatever the application's asking, but I would put that it was expunged and that, um, you know, all, you know, all, all, um, retribution was made and, you know, all that stuff. You, you did, you did your time. You paid your fines, you, all your penalties, whatever. You, you paid everything off. It's gone. It's no longer an issue. And that would just be evidence that you're an upstanding citizen. You, you screwed up once when you were younger and, and you've made right. I would still disclose it. I wouldn't hide it because the risk of it showing up on the FBI background check as a conviction and you didn't disclose it, that's a bigger risk to me. If you can get your record expunged or sealed, then they're going to give you your license if you disclose it. Does that make sense? It's the honesty part that's, that's more important than the you know, thing I did that was stupid 10 years ago or 20 years ago or even three years ago. So I, I would honestly say, you know, I, w I would just put it down. That, that's my recommendation. Now, you can go talk to a lawyer in your state. I'm not giving you legal advice. I'm telling you what I would do. 
So take that for what it's worth. All right. Um, I want to go through one more, and then it's just going to make a couple comments at the end. So I'm getting closer to home here. I'm, I'm coming home from Cleveland, driving in the city today, not in the country. The um, new grads are coming out. I'm seeing tons of Facebook posts about offers and jobs and negotiations, and I don't know how to do it and all that stuff. And I think it's a good time to regroup and go through that again because the new grad negotiation tactic, in my opinion, is a different process than what you would have if you were an experienced NP that knew your value. If you know your value, it's second nature to be able to negotiate it. Because you're going to walk in and say, look, no, dude, you're, you're, you want to pay me, you know, hundred grand a year, and I'm going to be pulling you, you know, how many people do you see a day? This many? How many people are going to be on my schedule? This many? And what's your insurance is? This, this insurance? And what's the reimbursement for a 99213 and a 99214? Or whatever it is that you do. So if it's mental health, it's going to be different CPT codes. But just, you, you know what you're worth. You know, you can do the math and come up with the total value of what you're going to bring into a practice. It's going to take a couple weeks to get caught up with their EHR system and their process and resources that are available, but essentially you're going to be rocking and rolling in short order if you're experienced. So that's a different way of negotiation. Now, as a new grad, you have no idea what you're going to be valuing yourself to the to the employer. You might be seeing two patients an hour and that's all the that's the best you're going to ever get. Whether it's because they're oversaturated in the area with providers and you're just not that busy or uh, because the the provider's not accepting new clients and you're just taking slicing some of the workload off his plate and that's all he's got to give you or she's got to give you. It, it just, it depends on the circumstances to be able to evaluate what your value is going to be because you don't know how many people you're going to see. You don't know what your insurance reimbursements necessarily are. You can ask the questions, but they're not going to know. They're not going to know what you're going to be bringing in. So the negotiation tactic for me is, is going to be a little different as a new grad than it would be as an experienced NP right off the bat. So new grad, here's what you're going to expect. You're going to go and you're going to interview. Somebody's going to say, I like you. You're going to say, I kind of like you. And they're going to say, what's your number you're thinking about? And if you give a number first, you're, you're, you're missing the boat. You say, well, you know, I've got multiple other deals going on right now. I'd like to see what you're willing to pay me. That's an acceptable answer. Say, no, I'd like to see what you offer me. What do you value me as? And that's going to tell me a couple things. And I blatantly have said this to people. It's going to tell me, one, whether you respect me as a provider. And two, it's going to tell me whether you understand how much money I'm going to potentially be making for you. So, you know, if they say, well, I know other providers are bringing in 75 to 90. And so I was thinking about starting around 80. I'd be like, you don't understand what I do, or you're trying to screw me. So either one, I don't want to work with you. So that tells me something right there. So the, the big picture for, for new grads is you have to think like a provider. You're no longer an RN that just accepts a pay. Oh, this is what they take. Oh, okay, I'll just do This is the average in the area, so I'm taking a... Uh-uh. Nope. Don't do that. You will make less, I promise you, <laughs> if you do that. You'll, you'll jump 10 to 20 grand more by just having the right attitude going into the interview. If you go into the interview and they start asking you a lot of questions about you, that's fine. But you need to be asking them questions about them. If they realize that you're interviewing them more than they're interviewing you, that gives them the sense that, oh, I need this person because they, they're out there figuring out where they want to go. And they were trying to no longer, no longer trying to um, 
entice you to come in and work there cheap. They're trying to get you because they want somebody that understands the business. Does that make sense? So go in with confidence. Even if you don't know anything about the practice. I went into a rheumatology. I'm like, I don't know anything about rheumatology. And I know a little bit. Inflammation. Got it. Inflammatory diseases. Autoimmune. Got it. I don't know anything about what you do. But I can learn it. I'm not worried about that. My, my questions are things like, um, um, what's your stance on opiate use? What's your, what's your policy about um, supervision? Do you see APRNs as uh, needing to be supervised or are you going to turn me loose? Do you, uh, would you ever consider having an APRN be a partner in your practice? That's a good one. And if they laugh, do you want to work there? I don't. They don't value you or me or anybody else with the same degree as we have. So I I don't necessarily, you know, I I interview them almost as much as they interview me, if not more. I want them to do a lot of the talking. 70-30 rule, right? Talk 30, listen, listen 70. So I'd ask question and get them going on discussions, and you, so you kind of get the feel of what the interview is going. If it's if it's forced on both sides, it's not. It may not be a good fit. It's going to be forced on a day to day basis. That doesn't sound like a fun environment to be in. If it's natural and you guys fit and click and everything's going well, then then you got a better opportunity for for uh, a good negotiation. If it's forced and then you go into negotiations, it's going to be harder. Because it was, they're going to automatically be like, well, just they don't really fit our personality, or you know, I don't really know if I like the guy. That kind of stuff. Okay, so as far as the number, everybody wants to know the number, the number, the number, the number. Don't worry about the number. In my opinion, let the number come to you. Let it ride. Just say, you know what? I've I've got two other offices I'm talking with right now. I'm I'm you know, comparable to the industry in the area, I'd like to hear what you have to offer and then we'll go from there. And if they say, well, I don't know what to pay you, then you say 120 <laughs> and they'll see what they say. If they cringe, then you're like, oh, okay, well, I thought you didn't know what we, we got paid. You just called their bluff, right? So you can, you can joke around with them. I've done that too make it unreasonable, unreasonably high. If you know you don't want to work there, you make it 150. See what they say. Just it'll plus it'll make it easier for the next guy. If you know you're not going to go work there, make the number so high that they're like, "Oh crap. I got a four-wheeler cruising down the road." Come on, dude. Seriously? I have a four-wheeler cruising down the road. Okay. The um the other thing that we want to do is this, and I hear this one too is that the, people will say, "Well, I've got um $80,000" as a base salary, and it's going to be an RVU bonus structure. I've talked about bonus structure in the past. Bonus is a bad word. You want to change it to incentive. It's an incentive payment structure because bonus is insinuating that it is is something that's discretionary and can be taken away. So do not do a bonus. You do uh, incentive. And and the question about this is, is that I don't know if that's a good incentive pay or not. I don't know either, and you won't until you get work in there. That's the problem. So I've seen tons of, I've reviewed, I don't even know, probably 10 or 12 contracts where people never got their bonuses, quote unquote bonus, it was written in there that way, or even incentive. 
because it was so astronomical high that they could never they couldn't attain it. It was unattainable, and it, not even at their own to the fault of the of the APRN. It was at the fault of the situation. It's just you know whether whether you're not bringing in enough patients or the number was too high and you just you, you they're just not there. There's not enough patients to see that. I've never turned a patient away and I can't meet my goals. I've I've increased the number of patients in this pra- the practice by 1,200 this year and I'm still not hitting my my quote unquote bonus. That's a crock of crap. That's unfair in my opinion. Not illegal, but certainly unfair. And I would encourage you not to do it. Now, what I do instead is this. I recommend as a new graduate to do a very short-term contract, say six months to a year, probably a year. Six months is a little short because you might not be credentialed on all the insurance plans, and that would skew your number lower as to how many patients you're seeing and what revenue you're generating. There's a bunch of different ways, and you can go listen to the NP Money Show. John Canyon did an interview. Um, it's Chris Wood's show. He interviewed John Canyon, did a great show. The two, two of my buddies, right? Um, and he explains the RVU system. Awesome. I'm not going to go rehash that. I've done that in other shows as well. But but what, what I get frustrated with in primary care or in outpatient, when people want to use an RVU basis with a new grad, you know you're going to get screwed. I can almost guarantee you you're going to get screwed. So what I'd rather have you do is to do something like this. You tell the employer, potential employer, you know what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advanced practice nurse with a license and liability. And I'm not going to make RN rate. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And I'm going to tell you the number that, that, you know, if they come in with 80 plus an RVU or CPT code or billables and things like that, however they decide to do incentive, I would tell them, look, I have no idea how productive I'm going to be for you. And I and I don't want to sign a very long-term contract that's going to lock me in at low rates. So I recognize as a new graduate that I'm going to be learning, that I'm going to be getting credentialed, and that I'm not going to be as efficient as I would be if I was two or three years in. But here's my expectation as a new graduate. However you want to slice the end product of what I get paid, here's the number. And as a new grad, you may be willing to take 100 grand or 90 grand or even 85 grand. I'm not going to behoove you or, or, or you know begrudge you for that. It might be in your best interest to do that because of the market in your area. We're working on that too. But let's just assume that you get 100 grand a year starting salary and it's very doable I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you my number but it's very doable as a new grad even in a crabby market if you do it the right way your first first number you go in and say look I'll I'll, I'll do this for year one but we're gonna go either and do a provision in the agreement that says we are going to renegotiate in good faith in year two to come up with a better number based upon how productive I was in year one, preferably quarter four in year one. You're going to go with quarterly statements and use that as a way to measure your productivity. So the first quarter, it's going to be horrible. You're not going to make them any money. 
because you're probably going to see less numbers than you need to break even, and you're probably not going to be credentialed on all the insurances, so they're going to eat some of the money. You're going to cost them some money. Quarter two, you're probably going to break even, but anything above and beyond that, you're probably going to be paying him back, basically, for all the money you lost in quarter one. Quarter three, you're going to be productive and making them money, but you're going to probably still be paying them off. Quarter four, you're going to be making them money. So when you, but if a full year into your employment, you look at your numbers, you keep track of your CPT codes, and you talk to your biller, and you find out what the average insurance reimbursement rate is, and you come up with a number and say, look, here's my estimate of how much money I made you. Or you ask them for the exact numbers. How much money did, did I make you? I do not like using bill or uh, receipts, the accounts receivable. That's the money that comes in from the insurance companies and, and you know, co-pays and stuff like that. I don't like using that because it's not your responsibility to track down the insurance companies to pay you. Somebody else's job is to, to do that. And if you got a crappy biller or a crappy person that's going after these people to get the money, that's not your fault. I like to base it upon the amount of work that you actually produced. So it would be how much did you bill to the insurance companies or private or whatever it is. Whether it was self-pay, whether you know co-pay, everything. How much money did you did you do it? There's a couple ways you could do RVU, which I said John Canyon. You can go listen to John Canyon, Chris Woods did that episode. It was great. You can also do it with uh, CPT codes. That's probably the easier one in outpatient because there's a lot. Um, it correlates to the same thing. It's just less confusing because the CPT code t- translates to dollars easier. So RVUs is one more step. It's not worth it in my opinion, an outpatient. Now, inpatient, it's different. John talks a lot about that. You can add up and get tack on RVUs and things like that based upon CPT codes. So, yeah, you can, and they, they pay different because of different procedures. That that may make more sense in, in that type of setting. So I'm not saying it's, it's global, but in outpatient, it seems to be easier, in my opinion, to just do CPT billing codes. And that's in year two, so don't worry about it as the new grad. In year one, you're just trying to learn. And you want to make enough coin to, you know, at least start paying back your loans and, you know, pay off some of your debt and dig yourself out of the hole that you just came from. Education. So there's your new grad recommendations. All the other stuff is just knowing what the standards are, what you find to be acceptable. If somebody says, oh, well, I'm getting $5,000 for CMEs, I'm going to be like, personally, I'm not taking a, you know, a, a trip to the Bahamas to do a CME or to Florida to do a CME. I, I don't have the flexibility in my life to do that. So I'm doing online CMEs that are through AANP. I could care less about the CME money. It's not as important to me. I'd rather get paid salary. So I would negotiate down and say, you know, I, you know save your money on the, C, the CMEs. I'd rather be in the office making you money, working my butt off. Um, what I'd rather have is more pay. Or, you know what, I, I, I like to go camping with my kids in the summer, and I want to do this and this vacation around town, but I'm not going to go to you know Florida to do that. I'd rather have more vacation time instead of CME time. You use it as a leverage. Use those numbers. Find out what's important to you, and you go after it. You make a list of two columns. Everybody does this now, right? A column on the left. These are the things I want. These are the column on the right. These are the things i got to give. you got pluses and minuses, and you add them up and see which way you can live with. Don't forget to get your own insurance policy. So you want to make sure you get your salary covers that. Even if they provide you an insurance policy, please go back and listen to my insurance podcast. I got, I don't know, six of them now, five, six of them. There's a lot of information in those. And I 
I strongly believe you should have your own policy. You have your own license. You should protect it like it's you know the, the most prized possession you own. Because once it goes away, you can't do anything else with it. It's just a nice piece of paper you once could say you <laughs> could display. Now you can't. You can wipe your butt with it, I guess. Or start a fire with it. Camp. Hey, go camping. Use my, use all my certificates to start the fire. So get your own malpractice policy. The other stuff's all negotiable and, and whatnot. Here's the other thing: if you're going to a large healthcare system, probably the only, thing, well, pretty much, not not probably, but pretty much the only thing you're really going to negotiate is your salary. A lot of the other policies that they have, they have their quote unquote advanced practice you know, provider you know, benefits type package that's consistent with other APPs, whether it's PAs or NPs, you're going to kind of fall in line with those. So you're not going to get, you know, more CME money than the others. You might get a little bit here or there difference, but for the most part, it's going to be the same deal. The best thing you can do is try to get increased um, salary. You might get a little more vacation or trade a little vacation for more money. It just might be a little bit different, but there's not a lot of flexibility in those large institutions. So it's a pain in the butt to get those things changed. So you kind of fall into the company handbook, you know, benefits as an employee side of things, but you might be able to get the number up. But I've seen big systems given big money, so you can negotiate them. John's done that too. So you can you can make out like a bandit if you if you go in with confidence. Let them know you're looking around. They're not the only one in town. I'm not sure. I might go work for your competitor, and I'm pretty good at this. So uh, do you want the good guy going to your competitor and making your life uh, harder, or do you want him working on your team making your life easier? Oh, and by the way, it's only another fifteen grand for you to make that happen. I don't know. might be worth it to him, especially if you're pulling in three, four hundred grand a year for him. Fifteen grand a year is less than off another fifteen grand. Ain't nothing compared to the money you're bringing in. So be be aware of that. But I wouldn't go in and say, okay, I'll just take it and sign it. Don't let them know that you're. that's the only place you're looking. <laughs> you don't need to let them know that. You let them know that, they're not going to go up. They'll go, okay, we'll give you a thousand bucks. No, that's not what we're talking. You're not even in the ballpark. You go in with that a little bit, of, not chip on your shoulder attitude, but just, you know, confidence. Yeah, I'm talking to three other places. They don't need to know. Maybe there's none. You go in and talk to him anyways. So look, I got three other places I'm looking at. I'm interviewing to see which place I want to work at. All, th- all four of you guys are going to want me. So I'm not worried about that. And if you don't want me, then I don't want you. I'm, I'm being short. But that's the, con- the, the attitude in your mind that you need to be, be having. Don't say that. You're gonna, you won't get it. But if you have the attitude of, you know, I'm, I'm better than, than most of the people out there. I'm going to get this job. This job's mine. I've already got this job. Do I want to work there is the attitude you should have. And your number will go up drastically. I promise you it will. And I try to convey that when I do contract reviews and I give these tid- tidbits and tips pertinent specific to your deal. So, yay, use me to review your contract. I'll help you. I promise I will. So that's what I got today. Oh, the last thing I wanted to go through with, um, just real quick, was the state of Ohio is not a full practice state. There is uh, work being done through our state organization in Ohio. Um, OAANP um, has a bill for the Senate. I have not seen what the bill says. Or they've got a sponsor for a bill for full practice. 
and I don't know how to say the guy's name. I can't remember what it is. But that's awesome. So we've got a, the the potential for a bill that's going to be proposed. As soon as I know more about it, we um, we we I'll let you guys know. I'll read it and we'll go through it. And any hiccups in it or any problems that I see in it, I'm going to let OAA and P know about it first. Um, and then we'll go from there. But uh, there is the opportunity right now for you in Ohio. I know other people might tune out. And I don't care. But in Ohio, there is um, through OAA and OAANP, um, their Facebook page has a link to an inter, um, a, a map, an interactive map that you can click on and grab your state senator's information and go ahead and send them an email saying, you know what, I, I, I want you to back this law. There's someone that's given some language through the Ohio Facebook group that they've proposed. Some of it's not bad. It's a, it's a decently written written letter i wouldn't necessarily copy and paste it um but i wouldn't necessarily not copy and paste it so go read it and see you can either you just copy it and edit and you do what you want but go let the senators in the state know that they should be co-sponsors and um help support this bill because uh we need it we need it in ohio we need we need some autonomy especially with the, the opiate stuff there's too many people that want to get suboxo trained and start helping with uh with getting people off heroin and they can't because they don't have collaboratives they just don't have enough collaborative physicians out there and and this would be one way that we would be able to start doing that without having to uh be stifled so that's that's awesome it's great news it's very good news i want you guys to be smart i want you to be safe I want you to do the very best work you can. Promote our profession. Don't tear each other down. I want you to hold us up to high standards. That's hard. That's hard to do. Hold us up to high standards and not tear you down at the same time. It's flip sides of the same coin. But we got to do it. We got to figure out a way to do it. You do it in a nice way. We have to hold people accountable for the crappy work they do, but we also have to help them. Because like it or not, we have people that are new like me and I need help too. So if I'm not doing something right, you call me out on it, but you tell me, here's how you should do it. Not just, you're an idiot. I might be an idiot. (laughs) Probably an idiot. Anyways, guys, I want you to be smart. I want you to be safe. I want you to help each other and uh, promote our profession. We'll talk soon.